Heavenly Father, God, we thank you again for the privilege to open your word, the opportunity to study it and share from it this morning. God, you are so great. We are so sinful. Even when we think that we are finally getting our our lives and uh, Christian walk together, then we run the risk of self-righteousness. But God, you know our frame, you know our weakness, and you you took on human flesh. And we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weakness, but no, through Jesus Christ, we have an advocate for you, the Father, who knows us so well. As though the fact that you made us didn't mean you knew us so well already. God, we, uh, we pray for wisdom. Pray for understanding and discernment as we study your word this morning, as we open it. And God, I pray that you would speak through me with wisdom far beyond my years. I pray that you would challenge our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, thank you all for being here with us this morning. It's like the fullest the room's been in a long time, so, you know, I get all nervous up here trying to, trying to lead worship and... Uh, Anyway, um, it's, it's, it's great to, to have you here. We're, we are wrapping up a, a series in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and not the whole chapter, but just this little paragraph at the end that we so often just kind of breeze over as we're wrapping up the book, and we, uh, as we did our sermon planning and recognized there's a lot of instruction packed into every sentence of this paragraph. Let's do a whole series in just this. And so we're going to we're wrapping up this series this morning uh which is the last uh last couple of verses of it. And so if you want to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to pick it up in um in verse 11 and read kind of the whole passage we've been studying and then we'll we'll zero in on the uh the part for this morning. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. May God bless the reading of his word. And as we, as we approach this, these last few verses, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. That's, that's what we're going to be talking through this morning. Have you ever had a really, really good bonfire that you then had to put out? 
this is this is fresh for us. We uh, we had a big brush pile out back, and over over two different fires, we did eventually get it all burned up. Uh, but rather than just lighting it, we we took all the all the brick pavers that used to be around the old sign, and built a fire pit. And I I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but it's a really good fire pit. I made it so it like breathes at the bottom, you know. I mean, it's literally we'd throw this brush on there. It was like a it was like the Merlin engines underneath those Falcon 9 rockets. I'm pretty sure if you could turn that fire pit upside down, it would take off. It was unreal. Um, however, that leaves a lot of coals in the bottom, which you could leave in there, but you really shouldn't. Um, and in the spirit of being responsible, we went ahead and put it out. It was shocking how much water we had to dump on that fire pit to get all those coals to stop, you know, immediately evaporating it. It was unreal. Where am I going with this? Um, Well, the word in here is do not quench the spirit. And the word quench, uh, maybe you remember the old, uh, was it Sprite or 7-Up? I think it was Sprite. Their slogan for a long time was quench your thirst. Um, Because what could quench your thirst better than a... Uh, some sugar water uh, that's bubbly and has salt in it. It guaranteed will keep you coming back for more. Um, but yeah, that, was, that was like their 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 slogan: "Quench your thirst." And so it can it can be. I blame Coca Cola for this, but it, you know it can be easy for us to associate the word "quench" with um, the idea of satisfying, and that is not the way to understand. Um, this, because that would take a whole different angle about quenching the spirit. Um, wherever else we see this word in Scripture, it is basically always being used in the in the in the with the meaning of to douse or to snuff out or or to put out, um, like you would douse a fire. And so, if you've ever heard the phrase, "I don't mean to rain on your parade," or um, Sorry to be a wet blanket or, you know, these other things that are unpleasant. All of, all of these are phrases that talk about putting something out. You know, we understand those phrases to mean that someone is excited about something and what we're about to say is going to, <laughs> is going to bring that down a bit. When Paul says here, do not quench the spirit, <coughs> what does that look like? And It's a, it's a, it's like a five-word sentence. Do not quench the spirit. He, he doesn't. That's the thing. That's the thing about this, this, this whole paragraph is he gives all of these instructions with really no further explanation. And so, um, that is my task this morning to um, take a five-word sentence and stretch it into a 40-minute sermon. I'm just kidding. Um, I'm just kidding. We'll be hour tops. I'm kidding. Um, in, in do not quench the spirit. What, what can that look like? Hold on. I'm going to grab my water. Also, I'm probably going to, can you hear me if I walk away from the microphone? Because yeah. I don't know if I can preach. It's like a, you know, there are some people who can't talk if you hold their hands down. And I feel like I won't be able to preach if I have to stand here the whole time. Um, we can quench the spirit in a lot of ways. Um, in fact, the more I started writing down ways that we can quench the quench the spirit in our lives, the more I realize that I'm not going to write an exhaustive list on ways that we can do this. But I, I felt like I could break them into 
a few categories, and we're going to use these categories in a couple of different spots. And so, so if you're writing anything down, normally don't you don't have to do that, but some people like to. Um, we're going to talk about commission, omission, and appearance. Commission, omission, and appearance. Those being uh, commission, being things that you commit, things that you do. Omission, being things that you omit, things that you don't do. This is a good vocab lesson. Sorry, Reagan, but back in school. Um, committing, you know, co- commission is things you do. Omission is things that you uh, could do but don't. And appearance is uh, obviously how things look. Um, we can quench the spirit. We can douse the um, the the flame of our excitement for God, excitement for the things of God in, uh, in, in several ways. Here's, here's one, you know, by commission when we sin. See, when we sin, it sears our conscience and, and sears our conscience. Have you ever burned your finger? We have a saying, I think it was my uncle Brett who always said this, that a, a fire is not a campfire until you have burned your finger. It will happen, uh, particularly if you're camping. And that is when it officially becomes, okay, now it's a campfire. Um, after you have burned your finger, certainly it, uh, it, it, it's a little bit sensitive. But then as it's getting better, it's a lot less sensitive. It's, it's actually harder to feel kind of because that, that skin has been seared. That skin has, um, has, was wounded and then got less sensitive to the sense of touch. And that's the idea of our conscience being seared when we sin, and not just when we, you know, do anything wrong in our lives, but when we allow, particularly when we allow sin to become a habit, habitual sin, the kind of sin that we've done so much that we've grown comfortable with it, the kind of sin that it really kind of stopped bothering us a while ago, um, that can sear our conscience and make it hard, making it, making it easier to sin again. We quench the Spirit in our lives when we don't listen. When we don't listen to the Holy Spirit's prompting and we, and we, we go ahead and do the things that we want anyway. Um, this is not unique to you. It is not unique to any of us. Uh, the Apostle Paul talked about this. So the things that I, the things I should do, those are the things I keep finding myself not doing. And the things I know I shouldn't do, those are the things I keep finding myself doing. He, he described himself as a chief among sinners. I think if we take an honest look at ourselves, we would all feel like we could enter that competition for chief of sinners. It's not really a competition. And it's not one you want to win. So don't don't actually do that. But... We can, we can quench this, the Holy Spirit in our lives by, by commission, by, through sin. And it gets even harder to hear the Holy Spirit. That still small voice that the Holy Spirit is described as in Scripture, that still small voice can get smaller and quieter. It may not go away completely, but we can grow less sensitive to it. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't quench the spirit by omission. Um, there are a cu- couple of ways that we, we see this in Scripture. Um, Paul, in his letter to Timothy, the young pastor, challenged him, do not 
neglect the gift. Now, this was a challenge to a young pastor, but it certainly applies to all of us as believers to not neglect the gift given to us. The gift of salvation. Don't, don't live your lives as though you're still lost. If you've been forgiven your sin before a holy God, we ought to live as though we've been forgiven. Not that we're perfect, but that we're striving to be more like Christ. We're not comfortable with sinful patterns in our lives. Uh, do not neglect the spiritual gift that the, that the Holy Spirit has given us. The Holy Spirit uniquely gifts each believer with a spiritual gifting. And that spiritual gifting is for the purpose of building up the church. Now, some people might get the spiritual gift of bricklaying for actually physically building the church. And uh, I say that only partially joking because for some people, their gifting is service. Their gifting is to, is to, is to do those kinds of hands-on things. And for others, their spiritual gifting is uh, things like administration. Now, that sounds really boring, but until Jones showed up, we didn't know what we were missing. And those of you on the core team know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but... <clears throat> But, you know, we, we all have been given spiritual gifts, and to neglect that gift is to deprive the church from something that it needs. Now, I believe the, the Holy Spirit uniquely gifts each body of believers with all of the spiritual gifts they need. Uh, I, I, I talked to one pastor that, that talked about when he was planting a church, um, he was really good at a whole list of things. And as the church grew and there were more people to fill some of those gaps, he found he wasn't as good at those things anymore. But but seriously, that the Holy Spirit kind of uniquely gifted him to fill more roles when that was needed. And when that wasn't needed, the Holy Spirit gave others that gift. To neglect our gift is to deprive the church of something that it needs. That's one way we can um, quench the Spirit by omission. Another way is, um, man, have you ever felt that really strong that really strong sense that you should talk to somebody, have a, have a maybe hard conversation or have um, maybe a gospel conversation with somebody and you ignored it and it passed and the opportunity passed and uh, that feeling went away and maybe felt a little guilty about it afterwards because you didn't. But um, these are other ways we can quench the Spirit. If we ignore the Holy Spirit's influence and voice in our lives long enough, um, it gets easier to ignore the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can quench the Spirit in some ways through appearance. And let me, let me explain what I mean by that. Um, the, the times I will mention appearance in this, in this message, um, they are the, it is always the lesser thing, but it's still a thing. We can fail to set an example by not allowing the Holy Spirit's influence in our lives to be seen by others. We can, we can have a tendency to... Those of us that grew up in, in uh, more rigid um, tra- uh, traditions, um, 
you know, whether that be uh, the Baptist traditions or the, or the frozen chosen, we got the Presbyterians represented back here, as we like to call them, frozen chosen. But you know, you know, and I don't mean that. Uh, I think the brand down here is a little more, a little more loosey goosey. I mean, you got a lot of assemblies of God down here. You know, their influence kind of spreads. You know, even the Presbyterians start getting their hands up in worship. But, but you know, when when we when the Holy Spirit is doing something in our lives, when the Holy Spirit is moving and um, whether that's just in worship or whether that's in, um, you know, a broader sense in our lives. And we um, intentionally choose to remain very stoic and, um, you know, just bury those hands a little deeper in your pocket. You wouldn't want them going up, you know, past your elbows, you know, or or you um, or you just don't show any excitement. Oh, man, I can't believe I'm saying this. My wife is a. Uh, Always on me about how I have the level of excitement of a funeral home director. <laughs> and I think she's grown to appreciate that about me. We're very even keel. Um, <laughs> we fill important roles in each other's lives. But when we refuse to allow the Holy Spirit's working in our lives to be seen by others, we fail to set an example. An example of sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And so we can quench the Spirit by commission, through sin, by omission, by neglecting our gift or ignoring the Holy Spirit, and by appearance. That's all in our own lives. We can quench the Spirit in others. Man, can you believe we're still talking about the first five words of this, of this, uh, of this passage? We can quench the Spirit in others' lives by commission and by omission. The appearance one kind of applies to both here. But um, have you ever been to summer camp? I feel like this example here is low-hanging fruit. Laz knows exactly where I'm going with this. Um, have you ever been to summer camp? If you, you ever went to summer camp as a kid, raise your hand. All right, those of you with your hands down, you're either you're either doing what I said in the appearance category or... I feel really bad for you because summer camp was like the greatest thing. I, I did not go. I, I went a couple of times as a kid. Um, and then I went and worked at summer camp. And I was like, oh, man. Partly like, oh, I missed out on this. But then the other part was like, this is even better. Because I got to like be at summer camp all summer. It was great. Um, but have you ever come, you know, while you were at summer camp, maybe um, – uh, maybe some kind of a dedication service, maybe there's a campfire service where you go and throw a stick in the fire, or, or there, you know, there often there's some kind of call for um, believers to wake up and care about the things of the Lord and to be more involved and be more active in our own spiritual growth, whatever it was, and you come home from summer camp super excited. I mean, you're pumped up. And you can't wait to tell everybody about what God did in your life at summer camp. And some people are gracious enough to actually listen. And uh, the rest of us have a tendency to go, oh, who could have seen this coming? Or, you know, well, we'll see how long that lasts, you know. Uh, because uh, some of us who have had these experiences multiple times understand that uh, sometimes these uh, seasons of excitement can be like a flash in the pan. I'm going to go, I just came home from summer camp, I'm going to read my Bible every day. And so we read our Bible every day 
for three days in a row. And you know, some of us have had, have been through that experience in our own lives where we didn't follow through so many times that when someone else has that experience and gets excited, you know what we don't do? Encourage them. We might be gracious enough to listen and not let them see us roll our eyes, but our, our attitude can very easily be condescending at best and dismissive at worst. We can quench the spirit in other people's lives by dismissing their zeal. Maybe, maybe, it's, not, maybe it's not the flash-in-the-pan summer camp example, because that's the lowest hanging fruit here that we can reach. We'll reach a little higher in this tree, and we can, we can see the person that just got saved. And they are so excited about what God has done in their life and is now doing in their lives. And they feel like they are sensitive to the Holy Spirit in ways that those of us that have been saved for a long time stopped feeling a long time ago. And they're like, what's next? What's next? What should I read? What, hey, you want to you you do a Bible study with me? You want to, you know, all these kinds of things? And we're like, ah, you know, listen, I ain't got, anybody got time for that, you know? And, and we, can, we can be so dismissive of somebody's zeal rather than allowing that to be contagious in our own lives. Don't quench the spirit in your own life or in others. Uh, we can, in, in the same vein here, we can quench the spirit by omission in others' lives by failing to stoke the fire the Holy Spirit has set in their lives by encouraging them. And so, so I, oof, let me just close in prayer now. That's enough. I have found this passage to be very convicting. You know, you would think as a pastor and as a church planter, it's like literally my job to like, you know, be excited for people. But you know what? Sometimes I can be excited for someone and show them an excitement that I'm not feeling. And now some of you are wondering, oh man, what if he's doing that to me? No, no, don't go there. But Man, we can get so jaded in our spiritual walk, can't we? Oh, I've been, I've been around that three-ring circus so many times. I'm going to sit this one out. You know, God, could bring, God could be bringing that person into our lives to reignite a fire that we put out a long time ago. Don't quench the spirit. Here, here's the, the, the bottom line. is that Quenching the spirit results in a callous, seared conscience in our own lives. And it encourages complacency in others, in other people's lives. Results in a calloused, seared conscience in our own lives. It encourages complacency in others. Okay, let's move on to the next four words. Do not despise prophecies. I got really nervous when I saw I was going to preach this passage because I was like, oh man, now I got to talk about the gift of prophecy. And as a, as a fairly staunch cessationist, you know, I, I don't have, I don't really spend a lot of time studying the gift of prophecy because I say, well, that was a gift that the apostles had and, uh, that's not like something we make room for in our services. Anybody have a, a word of prophecy? Um, there's other churches around town for that, but. But as I, as I talked with some other pastors about it and studied it a little more, I realized that this is actually, um, Quite a bit broader than that. And so if you're like me and you go straight to gift of prophecy, 
pull the camera back a little bit and and let me let's let's frame it in a different way that I think is actually more biblical. Um, prophecy means God's revealed truth. <clears throat> God's revealed truth. Um, even in Scripture, this most often refers to the written word of God rather than someone with the gift of prophecy. Um, you know, speaking in the early church. Sorry, I just, as soon as I said that, I thought of Brother Pastor Phil, and Pastor Mac asked me to share a word with you, and here it is. Um, anyway, those of you that know what that is, we'll be laughing the rest of the service. Um, <clears throat> our response to the proclaiming and teaching of God's truth says a lot about our spiritual condition. Um, do not despise prophecies. Now, there's, there's very few. This is written to the church. This is written to believers. You're not going to find a lot of people in a lot of congregations who, when the preacher gets up and opens his Bible, they immediately roll their eyes because they just can't hear one more verse of Scripture. That's, that's not really what it's talking about because that does, who's that going to apply to? Um, obviously, that would be bad, but... God reveals his truth to us in uh, several ways. Um, first of all, and primarily, uh, his written word. That's primary. And, uh, and, it's, and it's important to acknowledge in this discussion the supremacy of Scripture um, as it pertains to God's revealed truth. Um, God revealed, you know, throughout time, revealed his truth to us through his appointed messengers, that is, uh, prophets in the Old Testament. Now, that, breaking some new ground here. Prophecy was revealed by prophets. <laughs> prophets in the Old Testament, apostles in the New Testament. And here, <coughs> a, a third way, um, whoever he chooses, but never contradicting the other two. So as we as we think of this, you know, don't despise prophecies. Now, this was written to uh, the early church. It's important to acknowledge that uh, the church there at Thessaloniki would not have had the entire canon of Scripture there. Um, in fact, for most of them, a lot of the, some of these churches met. You know, they they met on traditionally the early church met on Sundays. That's for two reasons. One, traditionally, uh, they, you know, they're celebrating the, the day of the week that our Lord Jesus raised from the dead. Uh, but also, if these people wanted to hear any Old Testament, they still had to go to the synagogue, most of them. The, the, the synagogues were where um, the law and the prophets, um, that was where they had written copies of it. And so many of them would still attend the synagogue. Still God's word. And then they would gather again on Sunday, uh, usually in people's homes, and read the letters that were circulating around written by the apostles. They didn't have the completed canon of Scripture the way we do. And so to, to kind of circle back to that whole gift of prophecy, cessationism, now I'm talking a bunch of big uh, theological stuff that only, only Laz and Luke are really, really tracking with. But, and, and that's okay. But the, 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 the idea is, I will explain it to you in a nutshell, Remember we talked about how the Holy Spirit gifts each congregation with the gifts that they need to function, to know God and to study his word. 
And for the early church, one of those gifts was revealed truth. Revealed truth that we now have in the completed canon of Scripture, but at that time they had in fragments, they had some, you know, some, they could go over here and study some of the Old Testament, and they had a couple of letters, one written by Paul, and maybe they got a copy of one from, from John, and they had a little bit, but, but they didn't have all this. And so God, through the Holy Spirit, uniquely gifted each congregation with um, some people that had a, a gift of prophecy. But there was a process, and the next phrase gets us to that process. He says in verse 21, but test everything. It wasn't enough for someone to say, hey, I've got a word of prophecy from the Lord. When someone would raise their hand and say that, the... Um, the response was generally, okay, maybe, let's hear it. And then we would debate and, and talk about, okay, what do we know from Scripture? Is this from God or not? There was not automatic acceptance of those things. And so there, there was a process to test everything. Not just, not just take what we're, what we're heard at face value, but to study the Scriptures as the, the church at Berea did. Search the scriptures to see that these things are true. Here's something I, I want to just really quickly on that to say. Paul commended the Berean church that they searched the scriptures daily to see that these things were true. I, I want to expand this a little bit. Paul came into town in Berea, started teaching in their synagogue about something that wasn't in the books of the law they had, which is basically you know, this guy you heard about, Jesus. He's the Christ. And they went back to the scriptures and said, ah, uh, maybe. And searched the scriptures and decided, you know what? He was. Paul, and this is where I, what I want to, the point I want to make. Paul was not insulted that they fact-checked his entire sermon. Everything he taught, the Bereans, they fact-checked that against scripture. And rather than being insulted by that, well, why, why didn't you believe me? I told you I'm an apostle. That, that was not his attitude. His attitude was they were of more noble character because they searched the scriptures daily to see that these things were true. May it not be true of us that, that our time spent sitting in this room is the only time that we open our Bibles. Not only ought we to read the scripture so that God can... Um, can teach us through his word throughout the week, but also, I mean, I, I'm a young preacher, and so I, say, I feel like I say this a lot, but I want this to always be true of me. If I say something from this desk that is not line up with Scripture, boy, I hope someone in my church catches it. I hope that my church, my congregation, is searching the Scriptures daily to see that the things I'm saying are true. Test everything. Paul commended them for that. No revealed truth that conflicts with or contradicts with contradicts the written word can be from God. And this is this is the thing today. You know, the cessationist is the idea that that the that there are certain spiritual gifts that the early church needed, that the church now, now that the scripture is completed. The church no longer needs. And so one of those we, we, would, we would often say 
is the, is the gift of prophecy, the gift of miracles, the gift of speaking in tongues, you know, these things. That, that's not to say that, that the Holy Spirit can't um, use those gifts in situations where they would be needed. Um, I, I can't put God in a box. God can do what he will and accomplish his purposes in what ways he sees fit. But those aren't gifts that we would look for normally needing to be exercised in the church in America today. And prophecy would be one of those gifts. And so, and so as we see here, no revealed truth that conflicts with or contradicts this, the written word can be from God. But if you ever had someone speak some truth into your life that you needed to hear, maybe somebody that didn't even know you, that was clearly from God. God can speak to us in that way. God can use the body of Christ to build up other parts of the body of Christ. I have a, a pastor friend who shared with me, and he, he holds a very similar position to what, to what, to what we hold on, on this, um, but shared an incredible story from his own life um, that sure seemed like the gift of prophecy. Um, it was a season in his life where he was, uh, um, you could say, double-minded, according to the book of James. He uh, would claim to have been pursuing God. He was in school to be a, a worship leader, and you know, he was, you know, that it was this was going to be, um, you know, he would say, "I am pursuing ministry. I am following God's call in my life." But as he looks back now, he's very aware that he was actually only there because his girlfriend was there, and he actually was completely consumed with that relationship in his life, and he had a. a, a, a a roommate, not actually like a, somebody that lived in his dorm that did, he didn't even know him very well. Pop his head in his room one day and say, Hey, um, so this is going to be weird, but I need, I need to share something with you that I feel like God wants me to tell you. And I don't know what it means, but you can, you can figure that out on your own. But like, I just like God, I really strongly feel like God wants me to tell you this. I had like this dream. And you were in it for some reason, and you were doing something. You were you were being attacked, and you had all this armor on. But there were cracks in the armor, and you didn't know it. And I have no idea what that means, but I feel like God wanted me to tell you that. He had no idea all of these things that were going on in my in my, in my friend's life at that at, at this at this time. And, and, Anyway, this feels like a really sensational story, but my, my the point is God was using this other member of the body of Christ to communicate truth. That truth did not conflict with Scripture. It's so true. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We read that in the in the book of John, uh, James. And, and as he as he took a hard look at his life, he realized, oh my goodness, like. This is true. And there was this, this is, this is probably from God. Here's what we don't do. We don't take something like that, and even though it doesn't line up with Scripture, believe it anyway because it just seems so sensational and supernatural. Like, I don't know. Like, I know, like, Scripture might say this, but listen, I heard a voice one time, and it told me this. Well, if you heard a voice that told you something other, like, that contradicts Scripture, that wasn't God. 
We've got to test everything, and we must never forget the supremacy of Scripture. No revealed truth will conflict with Scripture and be from God. Just because a preacher says it doesn't mean it's biblical. Uh, insert your name, the name of your favorite heretic here. Um, it's a long list, so, I, you know. But, but, but just because a preacher says it doesn't even have to be one of these, you know, prosperity preachers that's, you know, after all the money in your wallet. Um, it could be me. I could stand up here and say something that's not biblical. Test everything. First John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. The church has a responsibility to evaluate what it is taught. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10, And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. All right, we're going to start moving very quickly because we have like a whole other verse to get through. Um, the next phrase is, hold fast what is good. The, the word hold fast, is, it's like a boat that has been securely tied up. Hold fast. Hold on in a way that is not letting go. I worked in a boathouse. I could tie up a boat. All right. That was a fun summer. Um, <clears throat> ask me about it later. Job chapter 34, verse 4 says, Let us choose what is right. Let us know among ourselves what is good. How can we know what is good? I want to propose two ways. Familiarity with God's word and accountability with God's church. How can we know what is good? Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatsoever is. And there's a whole list that we can evaluate. What is good? Hold fast what is good. The last verse here, abstain from every form of evil. Here we, here we go again. Commission, omission, and appearance. Abstain from every form of evil. Habitual sin. We talked about this at the beginning. We must abstain from habitual sin because that's going to sear our conscience. That's going to affect our testimony. That's, it, it, it's, there, there's obviously a lot of negative that comes from sin. That's a whole sermon. Um, but I think you already know it. Um, habitual sin for sure. Um, one-time sin. The, the kind of sin that uh, I feel entitled to because I've been really good and I've really served the Lord a lot. Any of you heard the name Ravi Zacharias in the last year? All right, that was also habitual sin. But we feel like, you know, the whole good and bad scales, like I've done a lot of good. Oh, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We have not been good. And when we think we've been pretty good, oh, that's a great time to check yourself. Because the yardstick by which you are measuring good in your life, I can assure you, does not line up with Scripture. What, what we find is the closer we are to Scripture, the more familiar we are with Scripture, the more we open ourselves up to accountability with God's people, we find that we actually feel more sinful because the light of God's Word has shown us more and more dark corners of our heart where we're harboring secret sin. Evil can look like commission through habitual sin, one-time sin we feel entitled to by omission. James chapter 4, verse 17 says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, 
For him, it is sin. I don't have time to elaborate on that a lot. But we can, we can actually do evil by not doing right. What was the old quote? All it takes, all that is required for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Um, how about the appearance of evil? That's a phrase we actually hear in Scripture about avoiding... Uh, no, it's not. Avoiding the appearance of evil. The phrase we hear in Scripture is being above, above reproach, which is a, a, a Greek word phrase that talks about to be under the finger. And under the finger as in there's something in your life that can be pointed to by someone else to say, yeah, but what about that? Above reproach means you are not under the finger. There is not something in your life that... Um, that can be pointed to. Now, this is to a lesser extent. We've talked about this before. Character, or reputation matters. Character matters much more. Reputation does matter, but character matters more. We, we have to be careful in the, in, the, in, the, in the appearance of evil conversation not to allow the suspicion that someone, somewhere, a weaker brother, might possibly be offended and so we allow that suspicion to control us. That's, that's, not, that's not biblical. That's not what the Bible is talking about. We don't want to place stumbling blocks in front of other people. But the weaker brother is always, in Scripture, when talked about, encouraged to grow in maturity and in faith and to understand. The stronger brother is not, is not to put stumbling blocks purposely or knowingly in front of these people, but the stronger brother is not um, encouraged to be controlled by that. Um, the appearance of evil, is, it's, more, it's more about not looking like you are or could be engaged in actual sin than about whether or not a weaker brother might possibly think it's sin because of their own lack of spiritual maturity and untrained conscience. Let me explain what I mean. Um, Think of the difference between being seen or being uh, found alone in a compromising situation with a woman who's not my wife versus being spotted having caffeine. And I use that example because, um, anyway, I'm going to just quick story. Somebody who, who just got saved out of, I believe it's the Jehovah's Witness cult, religion, whatever, they believe like that's a mind-altering drug and like that's not being sober-minded. Caffeine is sin. For that person, that they might look at that and say, wait, what? I thought Christians weren't supposed to drink coffee. And I really hope that's not true. Um, <clears throat> but you see, one of those things looks like actual sin and could very well have been or be an opportunity for such and the other is decidedly not. One of these things we should allow to dictate how we are seen. And the other, the weaker brother needs to grow in. We're not flaunting things in their face, but, but you, you see what I'm saying. Um, for, for me personally, I have a, I have a, a rule that uh, I make a point not to be alone with a woman that I'm not related to and isn't old enough to be my grandma. 
And it's a pretty good rule um, because I want to avoid the appearance of evil. I want to avoid the opportunity for sin. And um, so anyway, abstain from every form of evil, commission, omission, and to a lesser extent, appearance. Here's a we'll close with this. There are two good tests to enable the exercise of spiritual discernment in our lives. First question, will it make you or others stumble? Second question, would I be ashamed if Jesus returned while I was doing this? The bottom line is this, Christians should be above reproach. And sensitivity to the Holy Spirit will help us to tread that line of what's best in the appearance category. <clears throat> so, a lot. A lot to take in in a couple of very short verses. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. We pray with me? Heavenly Father, your word is good. (coughs) Your word is better than good. Your word is like water in a dry and weary land. Your word is a rod of correction in our lives and also the gentle pull of the shepherd. God, I pray that we would be faithful to test everything. God, I pray that we would be faithful to test the very foundational truth that we are, in fact, one of your own. God, uh, may it never be that we assume Everyone in the room has had their sin forgiven. God, we know that we cannot lose the salvation that comes through faith in Christ. But we do know also that there is no other way. We can never be good enough. We can never go to church enough. We can never give enough. We must know you. We must know your holiness, our sinfulness, and that the only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. God, I pray for our church. I pray for our community. Help us to know them. Help us to bring the saving message of faith in Christ, the forgiveness of sins, to the world that is lost and dying around us. In Jesus' name, amen.